Hi everyone, I'm Dalen, founder and design educator at Curious Core. Welcome to our Working in UX Design podcast series, where we interview a UX design leader in the industry on their experience in this emerging field. We've had UX professionals from Grab, AirAsia, Google, and more join us previously, and we're bringing you more exciting interviews this year. Stay tuned for this week's interview with our special guest, who is working in UX design. Okay. Hi, good evening, everyone, and welcome to another session working in UX design, our webinar and live podcast recording. Over here this evening, we have Chin Chin, who is a owner of a UX design consultancy known as Somia Customer Experience. Before I introduce our speaker, I'd just like to briefly speak about why we're doing this event and who we are. So I'm Dalen, I'm the founder of Curious Corp, and we help mid-career professionals to transition into the field of user experience design and product management. We are based in Singapore, and we believe there is a lot of talent in the Asia-Pacific region, and they have stories worth telling to an audience out there who's interested in hearing. So just a brief background about why we're doing this event. Uh, this event started during the pandemic season when a lot of design events got cancelled. So we decided to do a monthly design webinar so that the community could continue learning even during the pandemic. And we've decided to keep it as one of our anchor events. As we continue doing this event and this podcast, we realize there's just so many great talents to feature out there. So love to talk to all of them. And if you're interested to be a guest, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. So for this evening, uh, we, we have Chin Chin, who started out as a visual communication designer with her role expanding towards strategic experience design. And she's definitely a person who's always looking to learn and acquire skills. Chin Chin someone I've known for a while, and I've also observed her work running Somia Customer Experience with a partner in Indonesia and doing this piece of work and operating this remote UX design consultancy since 2016. They specialize in product innovation and strategic design and she has definitely honed her craft together with her team, with multinationals, new ventures, as well as her own startup. With her experience, she helps business to identify business needs to rightly frame what is needed to generate thoughtful value propositions. Chin is also an animal lover at heart and that led her to start and manage the brand and marketing of a social enterprise called Good pet collars in 2010. She also organized the Nine Lives show, an art and design exhibition to bring awareness to care for community cats as part of the Singapore Design Week in 2017 and 2019. That's really exciting to hear. So today we're going to talk a little bit about how she manages to run and maintain a boutique UX consultancy remotely, you know, and managing remote research and design teams because some of her team members are based in Indonesia and how she sort of works in the field of UX, especially across this region, not just in Singapore, but also in her team working in Indonesia. Asia as well. For those of you who don't know, Chin is a certified coach as well. So I'm going to ask her some questions about that. Very glad to be welcoming you to this session. Chin Chin, it's been a while. How are you doing today? Well, I'm nervous. I was just 
declaring with Dylan that I haven't shared publicly about UX and what I do is my first sharing. So yeah, so I'm nervous. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for being here today. I'm sure we're going to kind of unravel the story of how everything started. Maybe we can start off by having you share a little bit with what you do today as a business owner running Somia Customer Experience. Like what's what's your role there right now? Well, I, I'm a generalist, I think. So right now I do oversee projects. I'm not 100% in projects anymore, so I do oversee. I manage the team. I'm HR. I also do some hiring. If there are events, marketing efforts, sales. Yeah, that's why I say I'm a generalist. So... I pretty much touch base across all the pillars in the business. I'm not specializing in anything because I guess given the number of hours per day, then I'm just trying my best to juggle everything and having that overview into everything, yeah. That sounds a lot like how small, medium businesses operate and work. And as we're emerging from the pandemic, I was just wondering how has this COVID situation changed the way you run your business? I think pre-COVID, I and Sulis, my business partners, are the only ones not in Jakarta. Most of the team members are based in Jakarta. So we would travel into Jakarta every other month and we'll be able to have that face time with the team. I think once pandemic started, and we always wanted to explore remote, but it just wasn't, we just felt like it wouldn't work. Because of the synthesis process, interview process and all that, right? It just wasn't possible. So well, when pandemic happened, then I guess it was, we just have to do it. We were forced to do it. Then, of course, there were tools that started emerging that enabled us to do that. So I think the first big change is everyone then couldn't go into the studio. Then pretty much everyone went remote. I think one of the biggest learning that I found was because I've been remote for the longest time since day one. I'm the one who's remote, but the team isn't. So then when the team had to go remote, the, we were getting a lot of feedback like Zoom fatigue, being cooped up in a home, feeling a bit depressed. Like A lot of these things started coming up as feedback to us during one-on-one. So I was quite surprised and I was sharing with my partner and said, hey, what's going on? What's, what's wrong with working from home? And only then we realized because we've been doing it for so long it's second nature to us it's our work but for our team members it wasn't uh, so then we had to talk to different people or just google and see hey how could we get the team to be more engaged i think that was definitely one of the biggest change the second change would be well the research work itself right i mean research has always been in person even if it's remote it's a very small part of it uh, online i mean so i think that was the other thing about managing the logistics administration vetting the people i mean all the integrity stuff right of managing like how to run and if clients wants to observe then how do we manage that as well and also not being able to even observe the entire person in their environment i mean it is their home now how are we gonna do that so i think with the client with the project side that was another big thing the third is the clients the clients are also very used to -to face-to-face especially with the bigger establishments a lot of our clients are indonesian based so then a lot of them would want to see you in person Uh, that's also one of the reasons why i fly in monthly because sometimes there are very important clients that we felt like oh they want the facetime so i think that's the third big bigger component that we've had to change and luckily they are experiencing the same thing right so they are very willing to go online as well so that helped That's really interesting and thank you for sharing your experience. I'm sure many could also empathize with the situation that you just described. Now that we're sort of emerging from COVID, are you guys still working remote? Are you still doing few research remotely or what's happening? 
Well, the thing is, across the last two years, we have expanded the team. And when we were recruiting, we thought, oh, we don't have to recruit from Jakarta anymore. So we could recruit from other parts of Indonesia. And so that happened. Therefore, we have a handful of team members who are not based in Jakarta. So coming out of this situation now, it is a hybrid situation. I think the thing is then the team, funnily enough, some found the value in working from home too, but still crave engagement. So for us, the hybrid model seems to work really well at the moment. Uh, however, for colleagues who are not in Jakarta, then that makes it a little bit harder. So we try our best. We couldn't do a monthly kind of face-to-face -face at the moment yet. But for example, two weeks ago, we all gathered in Bali for our Somia boot camp. And then that's the first time. Well, I was really pleasantly surprised everyone could make it, which is really nice. So then we could meet each other in person, those who haven't met for more than two years and those who've met for the first time but have been interacting on a daily basis. Well, that sounds really amazing. I think I think magic happens in Bali, isn't it? That's true. <laughs> yes. What about the realities of running a business? I've heard many small businesses struggle and, and they close down. You know, how is your trade doing? Because you're running an agency. It's a pretty much a cyclical business. How did the trade go? When it first hit, we were affected, of course, because everybody was like, okay, we're not doing anything. Let's wait and see. So for three, four months, we literally had projects cancelled. We had nothing. The whole team was uh, free. So then we panicked. We were like, oh, what do we do? What do we do? So that's how uh, Somia Academy online was birthed. We've always had Somia Academy. We, we conduct public classes and in-house training. But when that happened, then we were like, let's go online. And started developing content because we've had content already. So it's more about, hey, how do we come convert it to digital and we've never done online we don't even know how to keep students engaged sharing might be one thing but i think engagement and making sure they learn that's the other big component right big big factor so we were scrambling to build that material and then to market the course that was one way to get income to at least have some revenue coming in since project was a big part of consultancy anyways we were looking at a different possible revenue stream so we started that uh that worked quite well till today <laughs> We also started another small effort. So we, since we are researchers, we thought, hey, let's continue the research. Let's see how we can create another product where... Because what we heard from clients sometimes is they don't know the ins and outs of Indonesia, especially from the ground. It's very hard for foreigners to also search in English for Indonesia's insights. So we thought, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we compile reports? Maybe have to do more work and compile reports where we can sell right? Uh, so we tried doing that, but that didn't work out very well. But it was fun exploring. I think the process of that, it's that spirit of just trying something. Suze and I work really well in that we are both very, I would say, well, the bad word is reckless, right? The other word is uh, having fun during the process. Just let's do it, right? Having that courage to do it. So we tried a few things and some failed, some worked out, but I think it's nice to have a partner who thinks the same way and then we could just get things going. So with Somi Academy, we are still running the online classes and I, I think I saw one of our ex-colleague join us today <laughs> and he's still freelancing with us and teaching. So it's nice. Hello. Hello, Satya.
That sounds really lovely. When we talk about sort of like innovating and coming up with new business models, coming up with new products, there's always like element of risk attached to it. And I know you do this work for your clients. Doing it for your clients and doing it for yourselves are a little different. So you mentioned that one project sort of took off and one project sort of fell. What are some of the lessons you'll be willing to share about like trying to create a new product or new service? I think for clients who come to us, they kind of know what we do or at least have heard from others. So a lot of times they already come to us with a certain mindset of wanting to explore. And therefore, I think that really helped. Of course, we're not saying all our clients are like that. There are still some who are quite close. But when that happens, then during the early conversations that will already show up, then they either would not be comfortable with our approach or if they are comfortable, then we will be able to explore further. So I think like sometimes when we give some approach and they're not comfortable, then they would immediately voice. Then we would know, okay, it's probably not a good fit anyway or that they will be negotiating and at some point they would change. But of course, we also have clients who decide to embark on the journey with us and then say okay like in the beginning we're willing to go very exploratory we want to explore and then suddenly when the project starts and things happen then that's when you start seeing them closed off again so we've had to deal with many types I mean some we were able to still communicate and manage to convert them back to the path but some who don't so we've had projects that failed as well like at some point the clients didn't know what to do with our findings I mean it's also part of our learning and then we'll come to a point where oh it's like a stale that we're not moving at all then it's also having the courage to say hey I think this is not working out so that's something that we I guess in the path of innovation that indeed there's a lot of risk and there's a certain mindset that's needed to play with to have that courage to play with it yeah that makes a lot of sense and I think that's that's also because the client is paying you right so in some way you have to be able to guide them or to listen to them and get their input what about for your own projects let's say like for the academy or for a research report that you wanted to do in Indonesia what did you learn from creating your own products I think with for example with the research report one that we did it wasn't like we had a lot of time to plan or to think it through right I think that's part of the iteration so for example the first one we did was since it was the COVID so then we were looking into the hygiene practices or mindsets of Indonesians it was a report that got put together in less than two weeks so it was a very shallow report if I have to say because then once we publish it it was like just publish it so we did and then some of the feedback were oh it's great like to kind of see us but if you look deeper into that report right then you realize that hey there's nothing that is really telling me besides what I can easily find out so it was more like a collection that we would we just put together so I think with that and with the feedback from the people from the crowd then we realized okay let's not be so reckless let's reiterate this and then that's when we wanted to look at healthcare in a deeper way so then we started again exploring okay healthcare but besides looking at the current then we decided to look at healthcare beyond right 10 year plus then again just take then we did some proper research this time then translating what we feel into what healthcare looks like 10 years from now then we could play with it a little bit more again publish it with good and bad feedback of course but it was a nice activity to do for the team but I think we did one more report but after that we felt like the traction we didn't gain a lot of traction from it and then it was also when we started getting busy so that was when from a business standpoint we decided okay we've played it with it enough it didn't manage to get to where we wanted like selling the report I guess all the learning is perhaps we didn't do our homework very well really talking to business owners further to 
ask them hey what is it that you really need and then crafting the work towards that goal right yeah so we were just being a bit more fun and although it was a desperate desperation thing you know <laughs> I think for that project it was definitely one of the learnings there thank you for being so open and vulnerable about sharing your failures for us to learn from I think as a fellow entrepreneur I can also relate to it a lot because not every single thing that we launch is going to be successful or has been successful in a commercial terms some of it is just like oh yeah mm-hmm. it's a great process to learn from and to kind of get the team to work on it but it just doesn't land as well in the market and that's just like the market really determines which uh, products or services is really needed so mm-hmm. I think this is great to learn from I can hear that your team is growing I can hear that your business is growing it sounds like you're, you guys are doing a couple of things right can I just get a sense like how big is the team now aside from you and your partner Sulis mm-hmm. who's in the business yep. with you so apart from me and Sulis we have 16 people now it's still considered a small team but our team kind of doubled during the last two years so that was something that I guess we didn't expect we it wasn't planned to grow it happened when we were getting projects requests so then it was should we hire just so that we can meet and then actually now that you ask in my reflection right now I think it was we were coming from four months of drought right like no projects right then when business started coming then it was like oh okay okay we we're getting all these inquiries now it's time to well because you have been hungry for so long right then we, we started taking it again and then at one point we were hey actually to reflect again it's so much reflection going on I realized that it's probably better to suffer from hunger than to suffer from indigestion so that was something that we our learning as well so what happened was in the last two years it doubled and then we slowed we definitely slowed down in our growth that was what happened in the last two years in terms of how we've grown yeah yeah, I want to say congratulations for that. And what an interesting quote about <laughs> indigestion and hunger. I think as I know, I used to work in the agency business as well. So I know it's cyclical nature. It really is very dependent on demand. May I ask, what do you think is like the special sauce for Somia customer experience? Why do you think your clients come to engage you and your team? I think one, we are, we've always been very strong in the research part. So doing really deep, deep and thick research. That's what we are famous for. Another thing we are famous for, or, or rather people talk about it, right, is that not only are we able to get the right insights for them, we're able to translate it into recommendations, actions for them, and very tangible. So that's always what we consider always when we are running a project. Because we've had a lot of these in the past when Sulis and I were working in, in MNCs, right? So we've worked with a lot of agencies and a lot of time this they deliver a hundred over pages report and then we'll read like wow so interesting we'll read, read and then at the end we say okay okay what do we do and so we were often very disappointed because that it's such rich data right and then after we as clients don't really know how to use it so we felt like oh there's such a waste and it's so expensive really to hire these people and therefore when Somia started it has always been that it has to end and land with very actionable solutions yeah so I think that's something that people talk about and that's something that we continue to carry through till today as our ethos that's one the other one is i feel like it's the people we hire the team itself the team itself is very passionate okay, to, to a point right if i may be very transparent to a point where we also uh, had the issue of perfection 
being perfect now being perfect is most people would think is good right but actually then it's also causing burnout in the team so I think we went through that we went through that phase where a lot of team members were feeling the burnout especially when pandemic hit because then it's all the more there's no formal or sporadic side conversations that happen yeah so that was the other thing that that came up for us in the work we do so I'm sorry sorry I digress so coming back to your question yeah about about that so I think yeah the team itself and the attitude is also very important but I'm sure that comes with a lot of well all of us here are, are very passionate about our work I think that was an important point when you talk about people feeling burnout from the pandemic and working remotely for way too long. Usually in the office, you have the water cooler conversations, you have the lunch conversations, and it's kind of like an outlet of release for people. So when that is missing, uh, it needs to be kind of reintroduced back into the work schedule in some ways. So really, really good points. And I gather your point on research. And I do remember you guys being really strong at research, meeting you all many, many years ago when you were just a very, very small team. So today, like, who do you work with more? Do you work with more Indonesian companies? Do you work with more Singapore companies? Or are they bigger companies or are they like smaller companies? Hey, sorry, sorry. Before we move on, I did forget one point that I wanted to share, which is I think having, when we engage with clients, we also, if we can't do anything, we don't try to say we can. But there are always this other grey area where that's super interesting. It's something we want to do and we haven't done before. Shall we do it? And then we learn along the way. So there's this conversation that will happen internally. And then there's one where we know it's really complete out of our scope it will not even be a stretch it's just not there at all so I think having the honesty with our clients they often really appreciate nah, nothing to do with the work but I guess it's just the way we engage with clients yeah and so they come back to us with other things because we were being honest in the first place that's great thanks for sharing that additional context so going back to the question I asked earlier what's the profile of your client like right now are they more from Singapore or from Indonesia are they bigger or are they smaller companies I think it feels like 50% are Indonesian company and the other 50% are international companies so then they want to do work in Indonesia like whether it's an expansion or whether it's hey I want to start a product and I want to do it in Indonesia so a lot of the clients I think are bigger in general maybe it's because of our rate card so therefore sorry I don't mean to say this in an obnoxious way but it's the bigger companies and also because when they have the means they can look into research right they can look into innovation and because we smaller companies then they are looking into like I I just want to get the product out right that's more important to us at the moment I think particularly this year well in the digital space then the winter is here so we are getting they still want the work done then they would look for well we need to find at least three vendors and you know so then we we observe that we are losing out on those type of companies so to answer your question they are generally bigger companies who wants to invest in innovation and wants to invest in research thanks for sharing and i do remember when i was working for unilever that's always been a very strong culture of research so i wouldn't think it's unusual that you get commissions from like larger companies trying to go into one of the largest growing markets in the world which which is indonesia would you have any you know coming out of the pandemic coming out from the pandemic as a stronger team do you have any tips for people who are running remote setups right now they have a small team and they're doing like a boutique agency work do you have any tips as a leader for them 
Like I mentioned earlier, when you hire the right people, you also need to create the right culture. By the time I joined, Somia was already around for about a few years. That culture was very strong. And how I would describe in a few words, it's a very learning culture, a culture that shares it with each other, that help each other. And it's a very fun culture to be with. So very lighthearted, very fun-loving team. I think having the right culture is very important to create and to look at and to invest time in. Yeah. So I think, yeah, first that. And then I think it's to look out for interesting collaborations or interesting projects because I think that's also something we often consider like hey are we keeping our team motivated are we keeping them healthy in terms of like intellectual kind of stimulation because if we keep accepting jobs that are actually not very exciting then over time they're just gonna get bored so also looking out for interesting collaboration or projects and sometimes it could be yeah, indeed, at the expense of, it's a pro bono project. But if it's interesting, we'll do it. And of, of course, then the balancing of the books. But yeah, that's what the business owner have to do. I feel these two things as a, sorry, it's not very like magical or anything, but I think for us, it was that. And I think one thing that we have always been encouraging the team is training. So growing and training. So the team's growth is very important. That's something that I try to ask the team like, hey, what do you want? It's, con- it's a constant thing. Um, because when, when the team gets very busy with their work, then, then even I tend to forget about growth. I think besides the project learning, there's also these other soft skill learning and whatever not that needs to come into place. Yeah, Definitely agree that learning drives growth. Although it's not often immediate, it does drive growth over time and it helps keep people engaged and staff members are generally quite grateful for that learning opportunity. And it sounds like you kept a culture whereby you balance the work being interesting versus running the business type of work. And you sound like you're you're the one wearing the business hat in the agency. I'm not sure if that's true. So what role does Sulis play then? Sulis and I used to be definitely 50-50, we're like partners in crime. Also during the pandemic, then uh, one of the other side projects was this company called PharmaCare that we started to explore. It then started gaining a bit of traction and managed to get some funding. So then that became a side project that was a product company. So then Somia is one of the three founders because we really don't have the bandwidth to do this 100%. And so we got two other founders and uh, one of them is an ex-Somian. So... Uh, he was very interested in a product and he also joined as a co-founder. So there were three parties involved in this new product, PharmaCare. And so Sulis is actually 100% of PharmaCare at the moment. You have a successful business venture spin-off from your company. Yeah, we are trying, we are trying. <laughs> it's an infancy, yeah, but I think Sulis is working really hard on that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's walking the talk. That's super important and that's really interesting. Can you tell us in a few words what exactly is PharmaCare? It sounds like a pharmaceutical product. I think started because Sulis mom owns I hope she doesn't mind me saying this but her mom does run a pharmacy in Bali and so she started to see that there were some uh, I guess pain points in smaller pharmacies since Indonesia is such a big country right and a lot of them are still relying on pen and paper to document stuff and so she saw that as an opportunity and then we decided hey why don't we just explore this space and see how we can use digital to serve the pharmacies in Indonesia so that was how it started that's really interesting and 
then this product was a side project you mentioned and then it wasn't initially 100% but then now it's sort of like 100% for Sulis and now you're yeah. running Somia CX and I'm excited to hear more you raise a lot of good points like in the Chinese there's this saying right in every crisis there is opportunity and it does seem like your team has taken advantage of those opportunities to grow even further so I'm just wondering as you're growing your team in Indonesia and as you're growing as a leader as well I do recall you taking on a coaching certification can you help us understand a little bit more about why you did that and how does it help you be a better leader I think the coaching program was a big accident <laughs> because I took this 4D program called Facilitating Powerful Conversation with Tongyi at the Thought Collective. When it says Facilitating Powerful Conversation, my idea of that was, okay, I'll be able to have conversation with like the C-suite to the cleaning auntie, right? Like I'll be able to have like whatever conversations I can have with different people. So I went in with a mindset, but it was a completely different uh, content, which I was blown away. And that's how I got to know about coaching. But even then, coaching is still a very vague idea. I think it's still quite new in Asia. I mean, it's not completely new. I think it's starting to have more and more traction. But there's a stigma to coaching, I think, still about like, oh, do I need help? That's why I'm getting a coach. So it's that. And then in our work, we were also trying to rethink our in-house training. So we do a lot of training, short training, four-day I'll get to the answer, by the way. So the four-day training, right? But then we thought, wait, hang on, we hit and run. We're hitting people and then we run and they don't get a chance to continue the learning. We started introducing the component of coaching, but on a very perform a transactional level, right? It's just performance, right? So then I realized that, wow, we are offering coaching, but I don't really know how to do it properly. When I got into the coaching conversation with Dong Yi, then I thought, oh, coaching! To me, it's like, it's the same thing. So then I signed up for the coaching program and then to realize, wait, hang on, these two are very different type of coaching. One is a sort of a life coaching and one is a transactional coaching, which is completely different. So anyway, that's how I stumbled ontological coaching. And how has that made me a better leader or, or better manager? I think it's the conversations that I get to have with my team members. So some of them are here, so I hope I'm saying the right thing. But I think it's, say, during our one-on-ones, especially uh, asking the right question. And I also feel like the way you show up as a leader, because one thing I learned from coaching is I looked at myself first, right? And so that really helped me to see how I show up in every meeting, how I show up in every circumstances. Like, not only how, I also ask myself, how do I want to show up. So not just being an observer, but I do ask myself how. So then I think with that, every time I come to a meeting, even tonight, the question before is that, hey, how do I want to show up to this webinar session? I think that really helped as from what I learned from coaching, because I think prior to that, okay, it's a webinar, I'll prepare all this list of things that I want to share. But I never really look at myself as a human. And I think with this coaching uh, not distinction, then when I engage with someone, I'm fully present with someone and the engagement then becomes a lot more deeper. So I think in then it does build a lot of trust with people. And I think that one of the benefits definitely I got from coaching. That sounds amazing. I happen to have gone through the same workshop as you did. So I, I'm aware of what, what you meant. And I, I recall after going through the workshop, I had some very important or powerful conversations with my dad. It was just talking to him and trying to unravel and unwrap certain things that we didn't talk about. 
for the course that's running in Singapore, that's great. For those of you who are more international and more regional, ontological coaching sounds like something you could check out if you're interested. Assuming that you're gathering data in, in Indonesia, right? You're working in the few, trying to gather data. What are the challenges of doing so in context of COVID right now? I think definitely the in-person thing that was taken away from us at that time. Right now, it still is. Oh yeah, I think I didn't quite answer you. I think right now, if possible, we will look at the nature of the project brief and see if it can be managed remotely. And also, clients are a lot more open about that now too. So that has enabled us to continue to run remotely. And if they're open, we for sure try to because it's still in the air. So we try to not go in person. But if it needs to be, like for example, any workshop facilitation or sometimes it's really in, for example, a farm where we need to look into their environment, right? Then there's no way we can get them to even walk around because we might also have connection issues. So at this point, I mean, past COVID, we do go in person on field if can. But during the two years, we will hire local fixers. We will hire uh, locals who are in that place to go down for us. And then we will brief them what exactly are we looking So they become our eyes and our ears. We will still dial in remotely to to conduct the interview. That sounds like a really good strategy. And I've heard of the strategy of using fixers, whether doing in-field research or doing remote research, especially because sometimes the people you work with may not be as proficiently trained in the research methods that you mentioned. So that's on the external environment, gathering data from the external environment. Do you guys do work as well where you try and gather data from the internal environment within the company or whatever data is available from the clients? Yeah, so we will check in with the client to see if they have the data in the first place. So that's definitely something we consider. So for example, if they want us to do research for a particular feature, then some of the basic questions we will ask is for sure, which area are you looking at? Are you looking at an area where you're thriving? Therefore, there will be a good usership and we can have good data but if it's somewhere where they want to enter then obviously there's not going to be any data available or it would also we will look at the data to help inform us where we should go let's go back to where should we go and then they will say these are the top three cities that we want to explore because we want to introduce a new feature for example then that will inform us also about like hey where do we go with this piece of project scope or project brief if I'm a practitioner today and I want to improve the way I do research in my work, what are some of the things that I should be doing to improve the way I do field research or the way I do user research? It's a very broad question, I think. I would say, I think first it's managing the expectation of the client, really getting very brief, a very specific brief and outcome of what they are after. How are they using the outcome? What do they expect to use with the result? So I think that will guide us in how we craft the approach and how we craft the deliverable. So then we know exactly how they intend to use it. That's one, the engaging with the client. Of course, other conversations like, hey, what are your limitations and all that? I think those are quite fundamental questions. Then doing your homework first about the place, the place that you're going to go. To give an example, we are on this project now where it's financial inclusion. There are a lot of areas that the client has requested that we've never been because they are interested in the unbanked. If they're interested in the unbanked, then, then obviously these are areas that perhaps infrastructure-wise, savviness, where interventions are really low. 
I mean, in digital intervention. So our team then had to go make a recce trip a couple of weeks ago just to kind of understand the ground, find and connect with a local kind of expert. And even finding the expert is critical. Then that person can give us more feedback into like, hey, where should you go? Who should you talk to? And in Indonesia, especially, connection is quite important. You can't just go intercept someone. They will be wondering what you want. There's a lot of mistrust then because they don't know you just simply because of that so yeah so there's a lot of homework to do as in planning and all that as a user researcher for us it was quite funny to hear because to me as an outsider I'm like uh, Indonesia everybody speaks Bahasa Indo but of course in different and as with Chinese right we all have our dialects right so in the same in Indonesia there's also different language nuances differences in different parts so then how I hear my colleagues who are Jakartan say that they don't even try to speak there like don't even try to be friendly and use their language because once you start with even one or two words like they think you know and then the whole interview is it's gone right because they will speak in their that dialect and actually we have no idea what they're saying so there are all these things that we learn along the way as user researcher when you hit the ground but i think in indonesia i'm personally also hearing a lot of these other stories whereas versus singapore you go in, if I hear a person speaks Singlish a lot, I'm going to switch to Singlish. If a person speaks proper English, maybe the person prefers. Sometimes the Singlish starts to leak. Then I will start engaging in different ways with the respondent, right? Just to always catch what they're saying and speak on their level. I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> I think it does. I mean, in summary, you're saying, hey, let's set the correct objectives with the clients and also let's work with experts on the ground, especially experts who are very familiar with the local language and nuances as well. And I think that's definitely something to be mindful of. Have you guys or have your team actually done research outside of Indonesia or in the region? What are some of your learnings in, in doing so? I would say a lot of our projects are in Indonesia. There are some in Singapore, and if it's Singapore, I do conduct the research. A few years ago, we did conduct in China. So I was there because I've done research in China before, but I definitely cannot conduct the interview. But what really helps is I could understand what they're saying, unless it's a local slang that I cannot. Yeah, the thing with research is you need to be local, right? And if you're not, then you have to find a local to engage. I mean, that's at least from my personal opinion, because because that's what the client also engages for, that local understanding and the local insight. So a lot of times, the most common question is, so what's your team makeup? Where are they from? Because they want to know they are dealing with uh, local researchers. That makes a lot of sense. And it sounds like your team actually handles a lot of qualitative research. And I was just wondering, do clients come and do they ask, hey, you know, do you do quantitative research? Can you put stuff together and make sense of trend lines and stuff like that? They do, they do. But we've always, like I mentioned earlier in the call, that uh, we will always tell them very honestly, no, it's not something that we do. So we would either recommend partners to work with us or, you know, they would try to find partners to work with us. <laughs> yeah, so we're not expert in the area because we see that it is a different area of study. So unless we are willing to invest in it, there were conversations around, do we want to go there or do we want to continue to deepen our craft in qualitative? So that's the path we, we chose. And I, I think that's fine because it's good to be a specialist and be an expert at what you do and be very good at what you do. When it comes to qualitative research, you know, what's the most common mistake that you see junior UX designers or people who are not familiar with this view make very often? As of now, I think with 
In general, if it's a very young researcher, sometimes it's the details. For example, even down to planning things, like there will be some things that gets missed. But of course, if there's a senior there, it's very easy to point out those. So really, the devil's in the detail. Like it's even just communicating. Don't forget to communicate. And we always talk about over-communicating to the client as well. So that's one. The other one is the DG. The DG, I guess, is still a lot of the questions, right? The questions that are asked. And it takes some experience and it takes some guidance. I don't mean to be trivial, but I guess it's like close questions or sometimes questions that are asked that are too direct. The other one is when you are in a session, I notice young researchers, when they get nervous, then they tend to forget a lot of questions or they tend to babble, ask very close questions. So that's also another very common trait that I, I see. Then as a senior, when you're on the site, you're like, ah, don't ask that. But then you can't really jump in. So you're like typing, like, don't, don't ask that. You know, things like that, which is quite fun. But I've learned that, you know, as a senior, then what we do is you model. Just show them a few times. If you have eight respondents, then show them six times how it's done if it needs to be that show them six times run all six I mean it's a, it's a bit tiring but run all six at one go you do it then they get to see then by the seventh let them do it then immediate feedback is given I would give feedback right after a session so that it's so fresh also for me it's still fresh and then then they, they get a lot of value from that. Then the next session, I'll ask, are you comfortable to run again? Then it's up to them because I know it's quite stressful as well. So having the opportunity to kind of give feedback very quickly, it ha really helps them learn very fast. Yeah, really, really good points over there. And I think a lot of people underestimate how much work it takes to do the preparation. And it's actually the preparation, and as you said, the details that really separate the more senior researchers from the more junior researchers. Just out of curiosity, right, looking at how things are developing, you know, we're, we're going into a recession right now. What are your plans for Somia CX in the coming year? I'm actually quite glad you asked that question. I was wondering when I should share this. So I was telling you in COVID, we did really well. But actually this year, we observed that we're not doing so well. So if I'm very open to share. But what came up as a really great reflection with the team is that, well, when we were doing so well, we were so busy. We were just all heads in on projects, right? So there's no time to think about marketing strategy, sales strategy, none of that. I mean, yes, there's some, we're still doing the work, but... It wasn't from a strategic point of view, like, hey, who do we want to aim for or target? What sort of messaging do we want to put out in our marketing channels? How do we reinforce that message? So I think by doing this is just something that it's ongoing for us at the moment because as the economy is sort of slowing down and we have requests, but then we are not necessarily converting them, it made us stop and think like, hey, okay, what's going on? It gave us an opportunity to step back and like, okay, let's look around and uh, like reevaluate what's going on. So I think that's one of the things. We have always been very active in marketing ourselves and of course doing all the sales work, uh, but I also realized that the two hasn't always been aligned. So that's also something as a leader of the company to kind of like see that and then try to strategize and come up with different action items to bring that together again. And this is not going to be overnight. So it might take time and having the patience to like, hey, let's do this and consistently until we get somewhere.
once again, thank you for being open and telling us more about the realities of what we're going into. I think that makes a lot of sense to me. And as a fellow business leader, I always tell the team there's a difference between strategy and tactics. And it's really important to recognize whether this is something that requires a strategic tweak, as what you say, like what's the messaging, what's the positioning, how are we doing, what's the process for us doing our sales versus like something that's more tactical versus like, hey, actually, we should just be talking to more people or whether we have to just get on Facebook or something like that. So that's something that's really important. And I think all teams need to figure that out at some point in time. But once you have that clarity, it's very consistent in terms of the messaging. I think people really get it and they understand your value. And hearing your entire conversation tonight and knowing hey, your strength is in research and knowing that your, your rates are higher than some of the other competitors that you have out there, we had to readjust too, yeah. So it's not like we're not. I wish for the days when we could just put a rate cut out and people would still hire us. But with, you know, with this tweak, uh, so that's, one that's of the tweaks is because of the competitors also. Competitors are getting very strong, yeah. That makes sense. But yeah, I, I think it's a matter of positioning, right? Like helping your clients and your prospects to understand the value of what you're delivering as well. So that certainly makes a lot of sense to me. So we're sort of channel whereby we advocate learning and we have a lot of aspiring UX designers. We have people who are junior UX designers who are still kind of like in their first or second year in the industry. As someone who's been a practitioner for many, many years in the field of research, I was wondering if you have any advice for them transitioning or being better as a researcher. Because I think there's something a lot of people overlook when they do UX design. They think like research is easy, but it ends up being, you know, a lot more than, than what it is. So I was wondering if you have any advice to share to your juniors. Well, first, it's the learning, I think. The learning never stops. And it's ask, first that, asking for feedback. Because I think sometimes it's hard to hear critique, but not being... Because that's where the jam is. I think that's where the gift lies in feedback. So ask for feedback. The other thing is the courage to practice. I've come across uh, junior uh, researchers and I will ask them, hey, so you want to you wanna do it now? I say, no, 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 you do it, you do it. And I, I feel like I can do it, but it's also a missed opportunity to practice. Because with whether it's interviewing or whatever, not right, it's presenting and everything. It all comes down to practice. And I recently heard this, which is uh, it's like, oh, new framing for me confidence is to be caught I was like how do you mean well it's like even me being here now I told you it's my first time sharing and so I kind of remember that quote he shared me confidence is to be caught so I'm here sharing trying to catch my confidence right because the more I share I'll be able to catch my confidence and collect my confidence in this one area so I think with any practice really it's not just in UX it's really just keep doing it until you feel like okay then something else will happen and you know it's a lifelong journey really <laughs> in a way it's about the spirit of taking risks and with that i would like to really thank you this evening for sharing with us your adventures your endeavors for taking risks and it sounds like some of them went really really well so all the best to this new venture of yours in the pharmaceutical area and industry it sounds like some of them didn't work out but it created a lot of learning opportunities for you and your team this is really really wonderful that we got to learn firsthand from practitioner and firsthand from a business owner who built a company 
since 2016 from scratch and went remote with that. Thank you so much, Chin Chin. And thank you so much for sharing your stories with us this evening. If you'd like to learn more about our series, you can check out our YouTube channel. We're on Apple and Spotify as well. For the podcast editions, we aim to release new episodes every month. So feel free to subscribe if you're listening to this. And with that, I wish you well and everyone a good day ahead. And we'll catch you very, very soon. And hopefully next month, we'll have a new guest join us and share their stories with us. Thank you and have a good day. Thanks for having me and thanks everyone for listening. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please let me know what you think. Get in touch with me over email at mail at curiouscore.com. I would love to hear from you. Do also check out our previous interviews and other free resources at curiouscore.com. And until next time, I'll see you on the next episode. Take care and keep leaning into change.